Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at our teaching text is verse 27 through 30, picking up where we left off several weeks ago. In this first chapter, Paul is focused on himself and his situation in prison. If you remember, he's, he started this church on a second missionary journey, visited briefly on his third. Now, years later, he's in prison in Rome awaiting trial. He has been sent gifts by this church, these poor Christians in Philippi. He's been supported. They've given sacrificially to him, and he's writing this letter back to them. And he's focused this first chapter much about himself, uh, his imprisonment, how he's doing, how it's affected him, and in what way. He also mentions what may happen in the future. He he. He hopes to be able to be released and come and see them again. He's not for certain, but that's his hope. He thinks maybe that'll happen. And then in his next three verses we're going to study today is this introduction to the rest of the letter. And it's not really much different than if we were corresponding with someone that we cared much about. If we haven't talked to them or written to them, corresponded with them in a long time, we may say something along those lines. Uh, Dear so-and-so, I... Haven't talked to you in a while. I'm doing well. And you tell them all about your life and how you're doing. But then eventually you come back to, well, how are you doing? I'd like to know how you're doing and, and, and what's going on in your life. And da, 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 da. And that's what Paul's doing here. And so the rest of the letter is going to be focused on the Philippians and their hearts and, and their situation. And he tells us in verse 27 to live worthily, to live worthy of the gospel. Let's look at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or, an, or am absent, I may hear of, of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father, we are asking you to help us this morning as we study your word. Help us to understand it. Father, help us know how to apply it. I pray that you would help me as I teach it, that I would teach it clearly with passion Lord, that you would use this teaching time to empower us to go out and obey you, to give you glory. Lord, we thank you for those that are here and those that are watching. Pray that you would bless us. Give us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So he says here, so that whether I come and see you or am absent. Paul was hoping to come and see him, but he wasn't sure. But he wanted the Philippian believers to live like Christians, whether he comes and sees them or not. And nothing made Paul happier than to hear good reports about those he had led to Christ. But he doesn't want their conduct to be determined by the outcome of this trial that awaits them. He's under trial. He's waiting trial. They're going to decide whether they're going to execute him or let him go. He doesn't want their conduct to be determined by his presence or his absence. And we understand that as parents, don't we? We want our kids to obey, whether we're there. I don't have to be there. 
to watch you to make sure you obey. You just obey all the time. I don't have to be there. We understand that as a parent. But he says, it's only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That's interesting, that word only there. He just said he thinks he's going to, he feels like he's going to stay. He's not going to die to live as Christ, to die as gain. He doesn't think he's going to die. He thinks maybe he's going to get out of prison. He's going to live longer. He says, well, I'd rather go be with Christ, but to stay here on earth and do ministry, that's for your benefit. So I think probably that's what I would choose, even though I'd really rather be with Jesus. But he says, whether I come or not, I want you to live like a Christian, like a kingdom citizen. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. If you don't do anything else, do this. Conduct yourself in a way that is worthy of the gospel. He's saying, above all, at all costs, this is a priority. No matter what you do, do this. Live your life in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And it's interesting in the, in the original language that there's one word that is translated in some, some of your translations, it will say, conduct yourselves. Here in the ESV, it says, let your manner of life be worthy. It really could be, literally, live as citizens. Or, only let your manner of life as citizens be worthy of the gospel. But not, he's telling the Philippians, don't live as citizens, not of Rome, but of heaven, of the king, your heavenly king. See, Philippi, as you remember, was a Roman colony. It was in Europe. It's in Macedonia. But it, is, uh, it was a Roman colony. It's hundreds of miles from Rome. But the Philippian residents had the privileges of a, of a Roman citizen. They weren't taxed. Their city was ruled under Roman law, and their culture reflected Rome. They were Romans. They lived like Romans not the other cities around them. But Paul is telling the Philippian believers, just as the Philippians lived in Macedonia but are loyal to Rome, you as believers in Philippi ought to live in this Roman colony as kingdom citizens loyal to your father, loyal to God. See, they're dual citizens, right? You live here, but your allegiance is to your heavenly father. You're on earth, but live like you're in heaven. And it's interesting, when I, when I read this, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, and it's, it struck me funny, maybe it, it did you as well. Who's worthy? Who's worthy? I mean, we're taught, aren't we, that none are worthy. Any scripture come to, come to mind? For me, it was, automatically it was Revelation 5. Remember John? He's crying because there's a scroll. And it's written, something's written on both sides of the scroll, but the scroll is sealed with seven seals. And, and the, the text tells us that no one on earth or in heaven or under the earth is able to open the seals. And so John is weeping because no one can open the seals, open the scroll to see what it says. And, and, and I th feel like those scrolls are the names of those who were saved and those who were condemned. But who was, who was able to open the scroll? Yeah, the lamb that was slain, right? Was able to, he was worthy to open it because no one else was worthy. And we're taught that, aren't we? And rightly so, we're not worthy. We're not worthy of his salvation that he gives freely to us. That's why salvation is by grace through faith. 
I mean, grace is something we, we get that we don't deserve, right? But once grace is operative in our lives, once we've repented and trusted Christ, we've received salvation, once grace is operative in our lives, we believers should live differently. We should live like citizens of heaven. And then Paul, what he's doing here, he's going to say, live worthily. And then he's fixing to explain what does that mean? What does that look like? It's like I said, be good. And then I list off of things that they need to do in order to be good, right? Be good today. Clean your room. Obey your mother. Be sweet to your sister, right? That's what he's fixing to do here. So how do we live worthily? What does it mean to, what does it look like to live worthily? Well, number one, we're to stand firm. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So first thing we need to do is we need to be people who stand firm, who are unmovable, who are unwavering. Now in Philippi, there's opposition. If you recall, Paul on his missionary journeys, he's in Philippi, he was beaten and imprisoned, mistreated, right? And in Verse 29, we read that the Philippians were told that they would suffer. Well, Paul had endured suffering at the hands of the Roman citizens in Philippi. In fact, the world opposes biblical truth, don't they? They did in Philippi. We think about your coworkers. Your coworkers, they may acknowledge your honesty and respect you for it. I'm looking around seeing some of you, and you've been working in places a long time, and they know you're a believer. Karen, your workers, they know, your co-workers, they know you're a Christian, they know your character, and they probably respect that, right? And maybe they're all believers. But for some of us, maybe they may acknowledge your honesty and respect you for it, but when a project has to be completed and they're wanting you to fudge the numbers to get it done and you resist that temptation and you refuse to be dishonest, your biblical values that you live by will come under fire. Paul is telling the Philippians, be immovable. Stand firm. When you share the gospel, another example, and you insist that there's only one way to heaven through faith in Christ, what happens? A lot of times you get pushed back, right? Well, think about the Philippians. They embraced Roman culture. In Roman culture, they were very, they were polytheistic, right? There's a lot of gods. There are many roads that lead to the same destination. We're all on the same, we're on a different road getting to the same destination, right? That's what they would say. Where our culture embraces a similar, similar ideology, don't they? As long as you're sincere, that's all that matters. You just got to be sincere, right? In our culture, tolerance is the prize virtue, right? And the exclusivity of the gospel is appalling to many. But Paul wanted the Philippians to be unwavering about that. You must be born again. It's not something those in the Philippian culture wanted to hear. It's not something that those in our culture want to hear as well. I mean, how could you be, how could you be the only one that's right? You heard that one? Don't even mention God's view on homosexuality and how it's sinful. And that men and women, don't, don't mention this either, that men and women are equal, but we have different roles. 
I mean, goodness, don't say, don't tell anybody that, you know, it's God's will that wives submit to their husbands and husbands that are lovingly lead the home and also lead the church. Well, that rubs the culture the wrong way, doesn't it? That just rubs some of us in our own church the wrong way sometimes. You know, our culture balks at these truths. They say things like, man, you're a little radical, don't you think? Man, you take your religion a little too seriously. How is it that you are right and everyone else is wrong? You're out of touch with the day, you're old-fashioned. Yeah, all those things may be said, but to live as kingdom citizens while in this world, one has to be determined, has to be unmovable. Have to stir, we have to stand firm on the truth of the gospel. This means to live worthily to stand firm, be committed to the truths of the scriptures, the gospel and the, the doctrines that are spelled out for us very clearly in the word of God. We also, not only must we be unmovable, we must be unified. Look what it says. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. Think about in, in Philippi, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of persecution going on, Bo. And, and, and what happens when there's pressure from the outside? A lot of times when there's pressure from the outside, what happens is there's division on the inside. Case in point, you and your spouse, you get along rather well. Um, you love each other and treat each other rightly. But what if there's all of a sudden there's financial pressure? <gasps> Don't know if there's going to be enough money to pay the bills. What happens? Well, you just love each other. What happens? There's division on why that's the case and, and how your money's going to be spent, right? Pressure from the outside, division on the inside. Yeah, that, that happens a lot. And that's what's happening in Philippi. There's, there's persecution. It's ramping up. Paul endured it, and now the Philippian church, they're, they're starting to experience it. They saw it from afar, and now they're starting to experience it firsthand. He says you must be united, standing firm, side by side, with one spirit, with one mind. And there's some things we can differ on as a church. You know, there's a lot of things even doctrinally that we can differ on. We get to the end times. My, my idea and understanding of the scriptures when it comes to end times, what I mean end times is like the chronology of Christ's return. What's going to happen? It's going to be really different than a lot of yours, probably. But those are things that, yeah, it's not... For most of us, yeah, that's not real clear. I see why you have that point, and I understand. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that'll happen a little differently than I've always thought. I'm not real sure about that. It's not real clear. It says this in this scripture, and this is a, some things aren't quite as clear. We can have difference of opinion about some things, right? So what I always say is we land softly on those things. We're not dogmatic about certain things. But there's some things we are dogmatic about, aren't there? On the gospel, there's certain doctrines that we hold we hold firmly to. Some we land softly on, some we don't. But we need to be unified when it comes to the gospel. I mean, think about the gospel, how it changes. Those of us in this room that are, that are regenerate, that are believers, that are born again, that are part of the family of God. I mean, we've been changed by the gospel. And even though we have different personalities, come from different backgrounds, that unifies us, doesn't it? I mean, looking around, looking at people, we don't have a lot in common, but we have Jesus in common, the gospel, and its effect on our lives, and that's enough. That unifies us, right? And that should unify us. We have a unified love. We have a unified purpose. We have a unified cause. It's to love Christ and to give Him glory with our lives. I grew up, we didn't have 
my parents, my, my kids, sometimes they'll say, Daddy, did y'all have, you know, it's, it's funny. We talk about eight tracks and stuff, and they're like, Daddy, did you have this? when You you know, it's like, yeah, we had electricity. We had running water when I was little. You know, all that stuff. You know, they're asking me, like, yeah, we had that. They don't understand, you know. Um, <laughs> but but I, I didn't have National Geographic or Discovery Channel. We didn't have Animal Planet. What did we have? Remember? What did we have? Wrestling. We had the... <laughs> We had wrestling, yeah. That was back. We watched wrestling when it was real, right? Back in the day when it was real. What did we have? You don't remember? I'm disappointed. On Saturday, Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom. Do you remember that? Dan, you remember that? Yeah. That was before all this other stuff going on, you know? And that was like the, the uh, educational TV back in the day. What happened to those water buffalo? Those water buffalo were in a herd, right? That herd mentality. What did that herd mentality do? It protected the herd, right? It protected the individuals. As long as they stayed together, they're okay. What's the lions doing? Circling, circling, circling. What are, the, what are the lions doing? They're circling, looking for what? Yeah, they're looking for the group to, to not be united. They're looking for the little, the weak one or the little one to get out of, of, from, from the group. And what do they do? It runs in there. It doesn't attack it. What does it do? Yeah, it separates it from the herd. Yeah. Got to stay united, right? That's why we are as a church. We have to stay united. Be united in our love for the gospel. Be united in our steadfastness, right? United in holding true to the gospel. Yeah, isolate individuals. And that's, I'll say this, kind of chase a rabbit. That's what's so so dangerous about this COVID um, Outbreak is we have people in our church that can't be here, you know, and they they're a little isolated, even though they're watching even now, but they're isolated. They're not they're not with us in person, you know, and and you know what you, we're seeing? We're seeing husbands and wives who were always doing so well. Well, they hadn't been here in a long time, and guess what's happening? Struggling. Families whose kids have been, you know, always been real compliant, submissive, and da da da. Man, just having struggles with some kids, you know, because da da da. Yeah, we see that happening here. We need to be aware. There's a there's a lion prowling around, isn't he? Yeah, looking for someone to devour. But we're called not only to to be firm, standing firm, but also to be united. Think about tug. Of, I got to think about this. You, this united. I got to think about tug of war. And I, we didn't. We don't have time. But I had a clip. I was going to show you this competition. These these uh, grown men in this uh, tug of war competition. I always loved tug of war. Didn't you like that? Do you have like field day? Or they still have that at school now? Yeah, field day and you have tug of war competition. I always loved that. It was fun. But I got to watching this tug of war, and this united kind of has that word picture. Of, 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 a, of, a, of a team of people together working together for a common goal or maybe a, a soldiers you know like the Roman soldiers with the shield standing arm and arm arm to arm, arm you know together united having a united front but I got to think about that tug of war and I, I got to watch some clips on YouTube and they're just they had this little rhythm and they're tugging and they're all working together it's like 10 or 15 of them rascals big old men they're just tugging 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 and they have to keep this uh, they have to stay together and they're just moving their legs back 
inch by inch, you know, left, left leg and right leg, but they're all doing it together in unison. They're all united towards this common goal of, of pulling the other team across the line. But that's, that's the picture we see here. We have to be steadfast. We have to be firm, standing firm. We also have to be united together as, as a body. Unified steadfastness, unified unwavering, unified attitude, commitment to the truths of Scripture. But also we see this, this uh, courage. We have to be courageous, don't we? Look at verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. We shouldn't be intimidated. We shouldn't be startled. Kind of the, the, the thought here of this text is, is it's like a, you have a horse that's spooked by something and it, it jumps sideways and runs off. We have a horse. We, we ride horse a lot, especially this time of year. And we have a, a, a gelding. He's big red. And we bought him a few years ago. And the reason we bought him is because he likes you to put his hands on him. He's real, real gentle. And I have little kids, you know, and so they're riding this big old, big old horse. But he's real, real gentle. But the only problem with him is we really like to ride him and we're having a good time with that. But he's a little skittish. He doesn't buck and any of that things, but he's skittish. What I mean by that is sometimes we'll take my hunt dogs and just get them out of the pen and let them run, and they'll go out in the fields with us, and they'll run in and out of the grass. Well, they'll just run out in front of the horse. Well, the other horses we have, they, they don't spook, but this, for some reason, Big Red, every time the dog, he knows it's the dog. Why does he jump sideways when the dog runs out of the bushes, you know? But he does that, or, or, or lo and behold, if you jump a deer, that happens sometimes. You're riding down these little fence rows and a deer, deer jump up in front of you. He just, he, it scares him. He just, you know, for about five seconds, he just jumps sideways and acts crazy. But he's real skittish. But that's the, the, the picture here. We're not frightened in any, anything by your opponents. We're not skittish. We don't, we don't lose our cool. We don't lose it. Why? Because of the gospel. Now, this is a courage, not a courage. It's not that, oh, you're not afraid of anything because you're physically able to withstand it or because of your intellectual wit. No, it's a gospel courage. It's not a courage thing of nothing's bad's going to happen because we don't have that courage, do we? Because we live in a sinful world. And how many of us know if something's bad going to happen or not here in a few minutes when we leave, we pull out of here and leave? We don't know that. We don't have courage saying nothing bad is going to happen. I know. I want to make sure nothing bad happens to my family. No, we don't have that. That's silly. We don't have that kind of courage. We have gospel courage. That's the courage that no matter what happens, it's going to be all right. To die is gain. No matter what happens, salvation is the, is the result, is the end result. I'm saved. I'm being saved, and I'm going to be saved. That's the courage. It's the, the gospel courage. We're, we're courageous because we, we share the gospel, we promote the gospel, we're steadfast in it, we're unwavering, we're unified in it, this sharing the gospel because this, this gospel is what the world needs. Some, some believers, they, they see the world, sin in the world, and the consequences of the world, and it's, the world's a, a sin-filled place. It's a, a terrible place in, in some ways. And they run and hide and they isolate themselves. James Montgomery Boyce, he says this. Let me re read this quote for you. 
Christianity has retreated into spiritual ghettos, and believers seem content to have it that way so long as they are safe and their children never wander beyond the barricades. Some Christians publicly wash their hands of all involvement in community and national life. I've heard Christians rejoice in the face of rising wars, inflation, riots, lawlessness, and immorality, all on the basis that these things must happen before the Lord's return. You know that idea. Oh, these things got to happen. It hastens God's return. But Paul was... No, he was passionate about seeing the gospel transform people's lives. And Paul was courageous, not because he knew nothing bad was going to happen to him. No, he's courageous about the gospel and proclamating the gospel and propagating the gospel because the gospel is the cure-all. We must be courageous knowing that we have the answer to life's problems. We have the answer to our culture's problems. We have the answer to our nation's problems. Carl F. Henry, he says, I'm convinced that this offer of abundant life has a scriptural ability to fascinate the shallow spirit of modern man and to coax him anew to a hearing of the claims of Christ upon his life. As we share the gospel, what happens? So that just falls on deaf ears, falls on deaf ears, falls on deaf ears, falls on deaf ears. That's true. More times than not, it does. But not always. Because sometimes we share the gospel, and what happens? Eyes are open, ears are open, lives are changed. And that's why we courageously share the gospel. Because we know the gospel is what people need. They need to hear the gospel, so let's take it to them. Courageously take the gospel to them. Psalm 118, 6, the the Lord is on my side. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Salvation is the end result, right? To die is gain. Look at verse 28. It's interesting. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. So if you're courageous and you're not intimidated by those who are persecuting you, keep in mind the Philippians are being persecuted. It was once far away. It was once something Paul experienced. Now they're experiencing it in their own life. But to be unwavering in your steadfastness, standing firm, being united in your commitment to gospel truth without being intimidated by those who are persecuting you is a sign of your salvation to those who persecute you. For the Philippians to undergo ill treatment, being mocked, losing their jobs, being imprisoned, to do that without being intimidated is an indictment against those who mistreat them. And what it does is it gives evidence to them that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. There's supernatural, something supernatural going on in your life for you to respond the way you respond. To be courageous as you're being mistreated is a sign to others that, that God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. And, and it's also a sign for those persecuting the believers that they're going to be destroyed. Now, the persecutor's treatment, mistreatment of, of Christ, mistreatment of believers is a clear sign to the believers. Like when someone's mistreating us, we're like, yeah, I know this guy right here, he don't know the Lord. <laughs> I mean, he's mistreating 
Christ by mistreating Christ's servant. He's mistreating me, so I know this guy doesn't know the Lord. That's a sign of his destruction, right? Yeah, this guy doesn't know the Lord. Guess what? When he breathes his last, he's going to be separated from the Lord for all eternity. But it says here in the scriptures that it's also a sign to those who are doing the persecuting of their own destruction. How could that be? That's kind of interesting. Been wrestling with this all week. I think the Lord's kind of given me some insight. Well, think about Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. Somebody that re recently studied that, you're going ding, ding, ding. Romans 1 and Romans chapter 2. It tells us that how every time unbelievers see the world God has made, they're reminded that there's a creator God. And they're reminded that they're rebelling against this creator God. And they're culpable. They're blamable. They're culpable of not submitting to him. And they're deserving of not only his punishment, but of death. That's what Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 tells us, right? Are there really true atheists in the world? No, Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 says it. No, they, they know there's a God, right? But they rebel against him. And they know that their rebellion against him deserves his punishment. So it's kind of a similar thing. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 through 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So kind of same situation. The unbeliever sees the creation and all that God's created. He knows there's a God. He knows he's in rebellion against God, right? And so he deserved God's wrath. He doesn't like it, but that's the truth. Well, here you see the same thing. Someone's mistreating you. What do you do? You treat them rightly, kindly, like God would. And what happens? You heat burning coals on their heads. There's this understanding that they're wrong that they're doing something wrong. I mean, I just think about the Philippian jailer. You remember, because we're talking about this letter to the Philippians, the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter um, 16. Do you remember what happened? Paul and Silas, they were beaten and imprisoned, and they had a jailer there watching them. What are they doing all night? Singing praise to the Lord. Singing praise to the Lord. So this jailer, he's hearing the gospel. He's been, this prisoner's been mistreated. And all of a sudden, there's an earthquake. The gates are open. The chains fall off. Well, he's about to fall on his own sword. Why? Why is he about to fall on his own sword? Because he knows his, the, the prisoner's escape. He's done for, right? And Paul says, D don't do it. Don't do it. We're, we haven't left. We're still here. And what does he say to Paul? What did he say? You remember? What did the Philippian jailer say to Paul? Tell me about Jesus. How can I be saved? What happened to that Philippian jailer? I think the same thing happened. What we're talking about in this, is this text, I, would, I think, it's a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Think about that Philippian jailer. He's seeing Paul being mistreated, abused, for no reason other than Christ. He's treated him poorly.
But yet he's seen the attitude of Paul and Silas. They're praising the Lord. They're not nasty. Praise the Lord. There's an earthquake. This Philippian jailer said, wow, these guys, they've got God living in them, and I don't. How can I be saved? How can I be like you? Now, not all are like the Philippian jailer, are they? Not all those who persecute are like that. See the truth and repent. But some, some do. Interesting text, isn't it? This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Yeah, it's interesting. Be unwavering, be united, and be courageous. And lastly, be willing to suffer. Look at verse 28, 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Philippians, they're experiencing what Paul had experienced. He's in prison, and now they're being treated badly in this suffering that they're enduring. And let me clarify something. You can suffer or you can, you can be mistreated and it not be for the right reasons. Like you can be mistreated because you're lazy and a terrible employee. You can be mistreated because your attitude stinks. Just because you get fired, that don't mean it wasn't for a good reason. You're a Christian, you got fired. Well, could it be that you're a terrible employee and need to be fired, deserved it? So a little caveat there. Just because you're mistreated, don't always say, well, I'm a Christian. I mean, it must be persecution. Well, maybe not. It may be because you're lazy and good for nothing. You're a terrible worker. So I want to throw that out there, too, because sometimes we, we want to throw up persecution thing. It's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, if I was your boss, I would be persecuting you, too, because you're terrible at your job, right? First Peter 4. 12 through 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Isn't that something? We, just, we don't think biblically, do we? We really don't. We don't think biblically. We think when we're mistreated that it's not supposed to be that way. It hurts, but yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's part, of the, part of the package, right? Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, a lazy person, right? Somebody just runs their mouth all the time, doesn't do their job, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. This interesting text here, verse 29, Christian suffering is, is, is evidence that grace is operative in your life. Once you become a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, we say grace is operative in your life, meaning you're a, you're a grace receiver from God. You're a believer, and God is working in your life, right? But notice here, these two evidences of grace. One is belief. Where does your faith come from? Do you just have it within yourself? Is it God just gives everybody this ability to believe and they all have it with themselves, they just have to choose God or no? That's not biblical, is it? No, it's a gift from God. Isn't that something? Why are we so arrogant and prideful 
The faith we have to trust him with, we don't even have within ourselves. It's given to us by God. Isn't that amazing? But he says, yeah, there's evidences that God's grace, of God's grace in your life. One is belief, but also suffering. These have been granted to you. It's been grace to you. It's in a passive voice. It's something God gives you, right? Our faith comes from God, but suffering does as well. Just like Lydia, Lydia was granted faith. It's a gift from God. It tells us in, in Acts 16, 14, the Lord opened the heart to pay uh, for, for Lydia to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's a, we would say, yeah, that's evidence of God's grace in our life. But also suffering is evidence of God's grace as well. The suffering that comes to a Christian as a, it, it is a sign not of God's neglect, but rather proof that grace is at work in his or her life. And that's something we need to be we need to understand that. Because sometimes we think that if, if something's going wrong or bad in my life, then God's not, something's wrong. God's not doing his part. <laughs> now, it's, this is all supposed to go smooth. It's all supposed to be easy, and it's all supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be hard. That's not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible, though, it's, it's hard, Right? We have to be careful when we share the gospel with people. The gospel doesn't, doesn't save you from heartache. Yeah, we plead with people. We admonish people. We plead with people to repent and trust Christ. We don't say trust Christ and all your problems are going to go away. He's going to fix it. He's going to fix it. He's going to fix it. It's not the gospel. Now, there is a problem that needs to be fixed, and he can fix it. The problem is you're at enmity with God. You're his enemy. God can fix that by what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus took your punishment that you deserve. Jesus took the punishment that an enemy of God deserves. The wrath you deserve, that problem can be fixed. But your troubles, your difficulties, your marriage, your wayward child, your financial situation, your health problems, your cancer... Your infertility, that's, that doesn't mean that's going away. In fact, some of your problems when you become a Christian, some of your problems are going to be compounded. And some of the, some of the things that, that seem to be fixed are only going to be joined with others that you didn't know were coming, Right? Yeah, some of you, you, you make money, but you don't, you, know, you don't file your taxes rightly. You lie. And so you become a Christian, and in the first year, all of a sudden, good gracious, i got to pay $8,000 in taxes this year. I just took a pay cut because I filed on Jesus. Yeah, that happens. Some people become believers, and then they turn themselves in and go to prison. Right? Are you willing to suffer? Because suffering is what believers sometimes do. 2 Timothy 3, 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a guided life in Christ, Jesus will be what? Persecuted, yeah. But I think in America, that I think we've come to erroneously see that suffering and persecution is an indication that something's wrong with God and his system and what he's doing in my life or not doing in my life. EU believism has been taught from the pulpits and it's led to shallow churches and shallow commitment to the Lord. 
John Wesley, he's, he saw this differently. He, he was riding on his horse one day, going from place to place preaching, and it dawned on him that he hadn't been persecuted. He said, it's been like three days since somebody's mistreated me. So he got on off his, off his horse, he got on his knees and says, Lord, have I sinned? Have I been disobedient? Am I not living rightly? Right then a man coming down the road recognized him and picked up a rock and threw it at him. Barely missed his head and he jumped to his feet. Thank you, Lord, everything's all right. I still have your presence with me because here this guy is chunking a rock at me. Yeah. There's a, a brother in communist China. He's a church leader and he was being um, comforted by an IMB missionary who had been discipling him. This missionary was very apologetic because he knew that the reason he was undergoing so much trouble these days was because of all the time this Chinese pastor was spending with him as a, a foreigner. But the Chinese pastor was like, wait a minute, isn't this what the Bible teaches us will happen? Missionary's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. This is what Christians should expect, right? This is part of the deal. This is what faithful Christians endure because our exemplar, Christ Jesus, was mistreated, so we will be mistreated as well. Suffering and salvation are both gifts of grace. Paul was suffering like Christ, and now the Philippians were beginning to suffer like him. Ken Hughes, he says, God's grace to us includes both salvation and suffering. If we imagine grace to be only pleasant benefits and blessings, then suffering is seen to be anything but grace. And many such confused souls have walked away from God and his church and his grace. Yeah, we suffer and life is hard because we obey the Lord. We try to live rightly and we try to share the gospel boldly. And sometimes you suffer. But suffering is only temporary because when Christ returns, relief will come and we'll be like him in every way. And we'll see then how our sufferings have been used for his glory and for our good. Karen Watson, I'll close with this. She went to Iraq a few years ago. You probably saw this on the news. Before she went to Iraq, she counted the cost, and she left a letter with her pastor. And their letter began with, you're only reading this because I've died. And her letter continued, a lot of gracious words to her family and friends. And then it was a simple summary of what it means to follow Jesus. She writes, to obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. Yeah, she was, she was killed in Iraq because she was there as a Christian. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. Look, how do we apply this text? How do we live now that grace is operative in our lives? How do we live worthily? Well, we have to stand firm, right? Are you standing firm? Can you say that you're doing your part to be unified? 
Do you have gospel courage? Do you understand that suffering is a part of the package and are you willing to do so? We need to live worthily. Paul's instruction to the Philippian church and also applies to us too, doesn't it? If you're here and you're not a believer, I encourage you to repent and trust Christ. We're going to have three funerals in the next week or so. We always have funerals, don't we? People are dying. Going to continue to die. You'll die too. Some of you, some of you sooner than you think. And we'll bury you and we'll say words over you and we'll have a service. And But none of that will matter. All that matter is whether you've covered in the blood of Jesus or not. Are you at enmity with God or are you his friend? Are you an outcast out of the garden or are you part of the family? Have you trusted Christ as Savior and Lord? Can you say, the Lord is my Savior? Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Can you say that honestly, sincerely? He wants you to say that. Jesus died so you could be set free. He bore the wrath for sinners. So if you're a sinner, won't you repent and trust Him? Cry out to Him. Confessing your sin, repenting, asking for forgiveness, committing your life to following Christ, and begin to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. May God give us grace to do that, Beaver. May we walk worthily this week, being steadfast, standing firm, not wavering to and fro, standing firm, the truths of the gospel, doctrines of the church. May we be united. May we be courageous. May we be willing to suffer, not seeing it as a surprise, but rejoicing, doing it gladly because our Christ suffered. Let's pray. Father, we are indeed thankful for your word and and. We recognize that we fail in so many ways, Lord. As we study this text, we have so many shortcomings and we need you to help us to obey. Help us to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. For all us who believe, may we live for you this week. May we be courageous with gospel courage. May we live our lives like Paul who says to live is Christ and to die is gain. For the lost here, Father, whether it be child or student or adult, Father, may you soften the hard heart. Lord, may they, even today, even this week, may they cry out to you in a prayer of repentance and faith. 
Grant them faith, Father, so they can suffer for you. Help us to give you glory this week. Father, there's a lot of grieving going on this week. Father, may we be a church that, that loves the, the grieving. May we grieve with them, mourn with them. For those that are going through it, may you bless them in a special way. May they draw near to you. May they get up in the morning and draw near to you. When they lay down at night, Lord, may they draw near to you and you draw near to them in Jesus' name. Amen.